Introduction to a Book of Giants, Tales of Very Tall Men of Myth, Legend, History, and Science, by Henry Wisham Lanier. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Book of Giants, by Henry Wisham Lanier. Introduction. Man in his youth was so fond of giants that, not finding them large or plentiful enough, he created a bounteous supply. He gave them precedence of himself. In the frozen north they came even before the gods, in the east after the celestials but before the creation of the world. In Greece they sprang into being just after the Olympians and fiercely disputed with the sovereignty of Zeus. Many ancient gods were vast in size. Witness, for instance, the colossal statues of Egypt, China, or the South Seas. But the palm for bigness must go to those giant beings whom we find amid chaos in the east, like that Tiamat from whom the Babylonian god Bel formed heavens and earth, and Purushu of the Hindu Vedas, whose severed head was sufficient for making the sky, his feet for the earth, his eye for the sun, and his mind for the moon. Somehow these are too large. Nowadays one can hardly digest a giant like that. Even those huge and terrible beings with bodies of stone, who once descended upon the Iroquois Indians, seem more like jinn or rakshasas. They do not fascinate as does that monstrous black warder of the bridge at Mantrable, who is fifteen feet tall with tusks like a boar and head like a liberde. The scholars quarrel over the questions of whether or not the very word originally meant earthborn, but be that as it may, the giants exhibited in these pages collected after a wider search than even Mr. Barnum ever prosecuted for such prodigies, are all creatures of the earth, at least in part. Their feet are on the earth, even if, like Og, king of Basham, their heads tower high enough to drink straight from the clouds. They all have a semblance of human beings, as they should. If this seems doubtful, remember Iabani. His story is certainly the first to be put on record, for it was baked in clay at least 2,500 years ago, the twelve tablets being found among King Arsurbanipal's library at Nineveh. Iabani was a huge giant who lived with the wild animals and who defied every attempt to capture him, until King Gilgamesh abandoned force and sent a very beautiful woman to stand quietly near one of the hairy creature's lurking places. At first sight of her, the colossal wild man falls in love, accompanies her meekly back to civilization, and, giving up his beloved forest, takes a humble second part in the subsequent stirring adventures of the king. No doubt about the human nature of that. Considering that he made them, it does seem as if man had been somewhat unfair to the giants. In the beginning, they won enduring glory. Typhon conquered Zeus in hand-to-hand -hand fight and drove the other gods to wander over Egypt disguised as animals. Even Atlas had at least the dignity of holding up the heavens on his head and hands forever. The frost giants more than once outwitted Thor and the other dwellers in Valhalla. And but the other day, historically speaking, Gargantua could swallow five pilgrims as a salad. But what a humiliating portion has been allotted to the successors of these awe-inspiring monsters. First they made gods tremble, then they were slain by demigods and heroes, next they became a measure of the prowess of every knight of chivalry. Presently they were the sport of the childish Jack the Giant Killer. And now, for a hundred years, we have relegated them to our circuses and museums. Worst of all, the wise men insist that giantism is merely a disease. It really isn't quite fair. Besides the inconvenience of being a giant, 
Just think of the difficulty of getting enough to eat and clothes to wear. What a disgrace to have one's head inevitably cut off by some little whippersnapper up to one's waist or knees. And then to be such a byword for stupidity. Amasis, who used to kill each newcomer with a single blow, was at once dispatched by Polydeuces, the skillful boxer. That sort of an awkward ineffectiveness was bad enough, but what of Polyphemus, who had not sense enough to explain to his cyclop brethren the transparent trick of Ulysses in calling himself No Man? One can help feeling sorry for such helpless hulks. And perhaps the unkindest cut of all is the true tale related by Patin, the famous French surgeon. Quote, in the 17th century, in order to gratify a whim of the Empress of Austria, all the giants and dwarfs in the Germanic Empire were assembled at Vienna. As circumstances required that all should be housed in one building, it was feared that the imposing proportions of the giants should terrify the dwarves, and means were taken to assure the latter that they were perfectly safe. But the result was most unexpected. The dwarves teased, insulted, and even robbed the giants to such an extent that the latter complained in tears to the officials, and sentinels had to be stationed to protect them from their tiny comrades." Unquote. However, the fascination of these very tall men still continues, and these tales relate to the adventures of some of the famous of all ages and all lands. Those lovers of the colorful old days, who mourn the departure of the giants before the skeptical eye of science and the camera, may be comforted to learn that in the rugged country of northern Scotland the folk are better informed than we. There, where Sutherland rocks meet the sea, east from Cape Wrath, the wise ancients will tell you that the giants are not really all dead, but only sleeping in the great hall of Alban. In proof whereof, know that a man of these parts once ventured into a great cave by the seashore. It opened to a vast and lofty apartment, where there were many huge men lying fast asleep on the stone floor. In the center of the room was a table, on which lay an ancient horn. The man put the horn to his lips and blew one blast. The enormous figure stirred. He blew a second time. One of the giants rubbed his eyes and said in a voice that rumbled through the cave, If you blow once more, we shall wake. The man fled in terror. Though by singular bad luck he could never again find the mouth of that cave, it is something to know that our tall friends are there, only waiting for three bold blasts to return to us. End of Introduction <laughs>